Welcome to The Inner Curious. My name's Louise Weigel. I'm a freelance fashion designer and creative careers coach. Hello there. My name is Karen Hollenbach. I'm an educator, writer and gardener. This is a podcast for people who are curious about their inner life and want to embrace sacred time with themselves. We hope you enjoy listening into our candid conversations to help you grow and discover who you are from the inside out. Welcome to today's episode. Today we're talking about one of my favourite topics, books. Yay! So the overarching theme of the books we're presenting to you today as food for thought is uh, the books that have had a significant impact on how Louise and I think or operate and how they've affected our inner curious. And I'd like to start with a definition from a book that I bought last time I was in a bookshop. And the book is titled Book Nerd by Holly Maguire. Book Nerd a fanatical book lover, someone who cannot exit a bookstore or library without at least two books in hand, otherwise known as a bookworm, a bibliophile, and the best kind of person. (laughs) I do love that. Love it. Beautiful illustrations in that book too. All right, let's get started. So we are going in chronological order. Before we dive in, how do you describe your relationship with books generally? What sort of, there's some quirky things we need to know about you, Louise, in regards to what you do with books? Mm, Good question. Uh, Yeah, I'm happy to read them at a pace that, that suits in terms of where I'm at. I don't need to completely rush through them. Although if, if I'm totally absorbed, then, then I'm happy to be absorbed by it and read it, you know, for a long period of time, although that rarely happens. Uh, and if it's, you know, the sort of book where I feel like it really resonates or I'm learning something, then there will be underlining and um, tagging. and will you read multiple books at once Mm, generally no more than two Mm. I will but generally no more than two Mm. and you buy them you don't borrow them from the library I do buy them yeah because I want to hold on to them Mm. and what's your position on audiobooks I have listened to a couple and I do have a subscription to audible but I find I'm, I don't connect with it as well as I thought I would because I love podcasts, but I really have found it harder to connect with um, an audible book, which surprises me. But I think it's that, that scenario where I just, I just want to be reading it and absorbing it slowly and and focusing on that one thing only. Whereas when I'm listening to something, I'm probably doing something else. Mm. 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 How about you? I 
borrow my book club books from the library and then if I really like them, I commit and purchase them. I buy books that are recommended to me by others, like your lovely self. I'll, I'll purchase them from a local bookstore. I cannot walk out of a bookshop without purchasing. And I have recently subscribed to Audible and enjoy it for more technical books that I've had maybe trouble sinking my teeth into. So good examples of that would be Sand Talk by Tyson Yunker Porter, uh, Digital Minimalism, uh, I really enjoyed as an audible book and I'm currently re-listening. I mean, I read it the first time, Quiet by Susan Cain, which we'll talk about mm. today. So I really, um, I think I agree with you, you can't concentrate as much. It's a different experience. Mm. And I, I love that I am that person that loves the feeling of a book when I have finished it and the smell of a book that I've borrowed from the library. Mm, that smell. I know that smell. <laughs> And I do underline, and it's really interesting because the, the first book, um, so folks, we're going to share their books in chronological order in terms of when they impacted on our lives. So the sort of earliest book that we want to talk about today in the context of our criteria. And it's interesting because my first one is I first read, I worked out I probably read it in the early 2000s and it's got so many underlines. So I am also an underliner. So what do you think, Louise, should we get started? Let's get into it. All right. So my first book recommendation is Work Smarter, Not Harder. It was first published in 1994. It was written by Jack Collis and Michael LeBeouf. Jack Collis is an international marketer. He's listed as having a number of other titles on Goodreads. So you can check him out and have a look at the link. Very businessy marketing books and that's a theme of a lot of my books that I'm going to recommend around personal productivity and as I'm getting older self-knowledge so this book I think is suitable for anyone who's a new manager is managing overwhelm wants to get or someone who just wants to get their act together and develop more momentum and self-discipline this book is just packed with tips it's broken into five parts which include the effectiveness plan, launching yourself. So this is where I really embraced this idea of the individual strategy. So not so much around personal branding, more around goal setting and, and thinking about what it is you want for your life and your career, conquering time wasters. So I particularly loved uh, the section on managing interruptions, working with your team. So that gave me heaps of tips on uh, delegation, communication, managing conflict, which let's face it, are things we all need to deal with, especially if you're a manager or a leader. And then looking ahead. I think I read this as a flow on from uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So I'm really revealing, mm. you know, a lot of my earlier habits around the types of books I enjoyed. So check this one out. I hope it's still available. I'm sure you'll find it in a good library somewhere if you, you, you can't find it at your book shop. Work smarter, not harder. Mm. All right, so the next one that I think is a shared favourite, Louise, <laughs> that you and I may have talked about on so many occasions, is Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. It's by Susan Kane, 
who I note is a Goodreads author. I'm not sure what that means, but it's probably significant. And there's also a TED Talk, which I want to put in the uh, resources we mentioned that's worth having a look. She sort of explores the concept of the book. So I think this book is, so it was, did I say when it was published? Uh, 2012. 12. So I think this book is suitable for managers, team members, parents, teachers, anyone that's trying to navigate understanding people's different tendencies. I was drawn to it as an educator. I was really trying to understand at the time how to tailor training for quieter and more thoughtful folk. And I believe I bought it at an airport. It's one of those uh, titles that jumped out at me and I do judge a book by its cover, just like I do a good wine. Uh, there was a simple quiz in, the, in this book that uncovered that I have ambivert tendency. So we might talk about that a little bit more. It helped me embrace and pursue more time with myself and in many ways gave me permission to spend more time with myself and it reading it coincided with the change of pace in lifestyle for me when I had two small children so it was I was living probably a quieter life than I had uh, when I had a busier career and I think at a at a really basic level this book uh, really helps you understand or help me understand where I was devoting my social energy and what were the activities that were, I guess, filling my cup, not so much filling my cup, but what was, where I was getting drained and where I was sort of restored or recharged. And it helped me understand my preferences. I think it also has helped me navigate working relationships better and people are trained better by really I, I will often open up a conversation around how people identify whether they see themselves as having introvert ambivert or extrovert tendencies and so that's really helped me with my learners that I work with so what about you this is on your list too Louise mm, it is it it's one of my absolute favorite books and the title in itself <laughs> was probably what drew me to it as well. Cannot remember how and where I found it, but it appealed to me because I have identified as an introvert or at different times thought I may be and and also after doing the Myers-Briggs, which I know there's all sorts of tests out there that, you know, can identify traits and um, preferences. But because I had identified as an introvert, I really, I don't know, this one was like, oh, ping, this little light bulb went off. And I was really, really excited to see how she explored the traits of an introvert. So for me, it was helping me view myself with a new lens. And I wanted to understand what traits she considered being introvert, but not only that, how she considered them to be strengths. Because for a long time, particularly in my working life, I feel that these traits for me 
have been judged as weaknesses, not strengths, and things that, you know, it may have been things such as um, slower decision-making or sensitivity or empathy um, and the deep thinking and feeling, which are things she certainly talks about in the book. For so long, I had felt they were judged negatively and in our world of the extrovert ideal, which she talks about. So um, I found I found it incredibly liberating to read this book because suddenly I found myself seeing myself in a new way and valuing the traits that are naturally me as strengths. And then in addition to that, I think she also helped me identify the, the energy part, which you also talk about in terms of you um, recognising how you wanted to spend more time with yourself. It, the way she explores energy for either an introvert or an extrovert helped me recognise perhaps the best sorts of environments or working conditions that suited my traits more. So, you know, I will naturally gravitate to smaller groups or one-on-one -on -one conversations as opposed to bigger groups. And, and I have also found myself working for smaller business as opposed to larger business. I've tasted both, but I found more myself being more comfortable in those sorts of smaller um, groups. So I think my biggest learnings from it were an understanding, a greater understanding of myself and having that self-knowledge is so important. And, and I think too, she also helped me appreciate the aspects of an extrovert as well that that help bring both sides into balance. Yeah. Mm. Mm. There's so much in that. And I think you mentioned the Myers-Briggs. I was, I like to say, misdiagnosed as an extrovert mm -hmm. in that. So there was no ambivert option. It was just you were E or you were I. Mm. And so I think I took on the persona of an extrovert. And I'm, you know, in some situations I am an extrovert and I'm, I'm never an introvert. However, I have ambivert tendencies. And so I think um, I loved what you said in terms of liberation. And mm. I think it, I, it gave, I felt there was a, and I felt that liberation and I felt that light bulb. That's why mm. this book was so profound for me too. And I love that it was, I love that. I get these people as I'm saying this, that it was, we, we, it had this impact on us for such different reasons. And that's the joy of a book, right? Mm. I think too, I didn't pick up on it before, but um, in terms of when I read it, I was in transition from coming out of a really intense working period and moving into a role um, that wasn't as intense and I was trying to rebalance, you know, mothering and working and um, how to also, yeah, I guess embrace 
my identity that is more me rather than feeling like I had to perform and conform to, you know, those work environments that are just so full on and intense. And so at the time that I read it, it, it's like it was an extra dose of, I don't know, like you say, liberation, and I really needed it. Okay, so my next favourite book is called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And Elizabeth Gilbert is probably better known for her novel writing. Uh, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, which then turned into a movie. But she does have um, a mix of titles in, in terms of the, the types of writing that she does. So Big, Big Magic, the subheading Creative Living Beyond Fear. I think I read this about a year after reading Quiet. I was still in the, I was in a transition phase from working for other people to start to work for myself. And as a creative person, I'm always curious and interested in, um, I don't know, how to bring out the best in yourself when it comes to creativity. Um, I've always been really fascinated by the topic of creativity, but also the processes and practices that, that go with it. Um, so what I found in this book, I feel like for her, it's a love letter to creativity. This is such a beautiful book and her language is really emotive in terms of how she writes. It's part motivation, part inspiration, with a lot of compassion as well. She writes in a way that um, helps you work through the difficulties of trying to do creative projects in amongst your everyday life. Um, she has six chapters, which I'm going to just read the titles of them because I think it really helps um, outline what it's all about. You've got courage, enchantment, permission, persistence, trust, and divinity. And yeah, it's beautiful actually. And the part, the thing that I found I learned the most from her in this book is the beautiful way she holds the space in equal measure to acknowledge the enchantment, the mystery, the inspiration that you have in search of. The, the creative treasures, she calls them, that live within inside you, as well as acknowledging the need to approach it as a devotional practice with faith and focus and courage and discipline. Mm. It's so interesting because it makes me think about the episode we did on marketing mm. and this sort of this idea around you know, what's in your heart and we shouldn't be worrying or thinking about, you know, the clients or ideal clients that we're serving. 
Mm. And I think the conclusion we drew at the end of the, at that is that I'm sort of walking down the anti-marketing path, <laughs> moving towards where you've naturally come from mm. and you're not shedding any of your amazing creativity. However, you are starting to think about that voice, that different voice of the voice that you put forward. So it's, mm. it's a, I find that interesting in the context. hope other people have listened to that episode on, what did we call it? The art and discomfort of self-promotion. Mm. Mm. I can see some links to that. Mm. Yeah. She, she has a very down-to-earth perspective around it but can equally highlight there's an element of mystery and inspiration involved as well. So I go back to it regularly. It's one I dip in and out of. And, and yeah, like I said, it's, it's got that motivational aspect, but also um, compassionate. Mm. So it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yes, it is. All right, so I think I might be putting that book on my list for uh, on my reading pile. Okay, so my next one, because we're going in chronological order, is Do Open How a Simple Email Newsletter Can Transform Your Business. Now, it's written by a gentleman, I hope I've got this pronunciation right, David Hyatt, H-I-E-A-T-T, and he's the co-founder of Hyatt Denim, which has a whole story to go with it as well. So he says, for me, the newsletter is the most important tool I have in building a global denim brand, second only to the sewing machine. So that's a really big call, right? So the theme you're going to see with a couple of the books I'm starting to talk about now is they were recommended to me by other people. So I am an advocate of the idea of you are, uh, what is it? You, you're very influenced by the sort of five people around you. And this was recommended to me by a colleague who um, I was talking about wanting to play a, just, just be, just show up better or more significantly with my email marketing. And so she suggested this book to me. She said, well, that's your plan. I said, I'm not, going to write a, I'm not going to read a whole book about email marketing. Why would I read a whole book? They're actually quite small books and they're visually, you'd love it, very visually appealing books, one of those little coffee table books. So it wasn't, mm. you know, it wasn't like a big novel. So I read it as I realised that email marketing was important to my business and I needed to do it better. It helped me. So I went into it just thinking, oh, I'm going to improve my email marketing game. The reason why it's on my list is it really helped me redefine how I show up in my business. And I'm going to reveal that I was so moved by this book in terms of the messages in it that I decided to do a vision board for my email marketing which is a big deal for, you know, a left brain logical to do a very creative step like that. So I think this is definitely the opening up of those channels within me of, of creativity. So it really helped me clarify my purpose and my voice within, in the business context. You know, why am I doing this? And so he really comes at it as you're a community member first, you're trying to influence and change the world first. And so how are you showing up? 
So it really encouraged me to focus on community and serving versus just my LinkedIn insights, which is what people expect from me and absolutely do get from me. However, there's so much more to me. Mm. And so it, it also really importantly from an, you know, internal perspective encouraged me to be okay with revealing more of me and getting unsubscribes as a result. So I'm not saying I necessarily got unsubscribes. I remember when I first sent the new email format, a colleague emailed me back and went, oh, my goodness, I love this email so much. I'm saving it and copying the format. Mm. <laughs> Mixed feelings about that <laughs> response. <laughs> However, also very validating because you sort of, I'm going to show up in a way that is unique to me, that is my voice, my what I believe in, what I care about. And I also had some people say to me, you know, be careful talking about these topics. You might have people disagree. And I'm like, great then they're yeah. not my people and I'm not going to serve them and they can find someone else. And so it was, it, again, liberating. And so who would have thought a simple small book on email marketing, <laughs> how it could help. So I'm really recommending this. This is suitable for anyone wanting to build an email strategy. Mm. I would love to think that if you're just starting to think about this and I'm not going to sort of promote the value of email marketing however there are plenty of people who do so if you have decided this is part of your game plan for the next little while I strongly recommend checking out this book mm. okay Louise so what's next on your list okay my next book is called the creative habit learn it and use it for life by Twyla Tharp so as you can Tell. there's a bit of a theme to my books which is all around creativity <laughs> because I'm just incredibly curious about it. Uh, Twyla Tharp, interesting name, she is a um, really well-regarded American choreographer and has been since the mid-60s um, and has worked in dance and choreography her whole life and career and I was attracted to this book because I can acknowledge that our lives are a series of small habits all strung together and for anyone wanting more of something or less of something, then we need to make it a habit so it oh, becomes I love that. part of our life. Are they her words or your words? I love that. No, they're my words. They're beautiful, <laughs> beautiful words. And so it, it was the title really, you know, the creative habit that really drew me in. And also that it was coming from someone who has, you know, lived and breathed and worked in a creative field for her whole life. So this book has, um, it's visually, it's really beautiful. It is in a, you know, black and white and um, red and gray sort of color tones all throughout and, there's a design element to it, which I really loved, but she does a great job of sharing personal stories as well as practices and processes that are genuine, um, I guess, exercises that can stimulate and um, prepare you for creativity. Um, 
some of them physical because she's a dancer. She, mm. she includes, you know, activities that may have you putting your body in the shape of something. And, and one of those activities is called do a verb. So she gets, she, she also teaches now. So she'll get people to get up on stage and pick a word that's a verb and then act that out. So it, I love that it can take you elsewhere, you know, in terms of the exercises that she has. That's that somatic element that I'm hearing people talk about a lot more. There's somatic educators and wellness practitioners now that talk about that movement and what goes on in your body. So she was mm. at the forefront maybe of that thinking, just did it in, instinctively. Yeah, yeah. She she's The whole book is peppered with those sorts of um, exercises. Um, but I think, you know, for me, this book is uh, a more intellectually um, analytical sort of book around creativity. As much as there's stories, she really is emphasising the need for the discipline and it still requires hard work and it's the practice of the daily ritual. And if you have those daily rituals, then over time they become automatic. So if there's that automaticness around it, it takes away some of the doubt and fear and it becomes more comfort and routine in what, you know, the practice is that you might bring to your creativity. And so for me, I find that in itself comforting because it's, mm. not, it's not about this light bulb inspirational moment. It, it's, in fact, about quantity and doing it daily that then can bring the quality over time. I'm reminded of something that Austin Kleon said in one of his books, and you recommended Austin Kleon to me, and I think we should definitely have a little nod to Austin Kleon in the <laughs> notes. I think I'm going to give a little nod to Malcolm Gladwell too. He said, your creative practice, so let's use writing as an example, is a verb. <laughs> mm. It's something you need to do each day. Mm. So this discipline, I think this segue between what's inside us and then creating the practices and the rituals to get momentum, which is certainly mm. um, a theme with all of mine. <laughs> yeah. And so is this one you check? I loved with your other book that you said, this is one I come back to. Where, how does this one sort of play out in your life in terms of you've embedded these practices? I have. And then I've pulled away from it. And then so then I come back to it again. And if anything, that's the whole point of the book is emphasising the importance of, in a way, having to be rigorous with, with mm. um, doing it daily and reminding yourself daily. And I know that, well, from a meditation point of view, that for me that now happens daily. But it's... It's those sorts of rituals and routines that, that can just help set you up. And that's what I think she brings to it. So I do dip in and out of it and I find it harder, definitely, which is why I have to go back to these books all the time to have a creative daily practice compared to, say, if it's drawing or um, mm. illustrating. I find that harder than meditation. 
can't wait to talk about my last book <laughs> in the context of this. And it also reminds me of Gretchen Rubin, who says it's what you do every day that matters more than what you do once in a while. Mm. 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 But yes, um, Twyla Tharp, The Creative Habit. So who should read this? I think for people who doesn't have to only be creatives. It can be people um, who are interested in stretching their perception of, of how they can bring more habit and ritual into their life. Yeah. I think the creative element would be very appealing to more left brain logical people like me. I certainly feel like reading recommendations from yourself and other creatives in my life. And I'd just like to say I do identify as a creative myself now through my practice of writing. <laughs> Yippee! Yay! <laughs> I think there's this whole part of your brain and approach that a personal productivity book by a marketing, international marketer, is, is just not going to give you. Like that you, you're, you're going to get something from a book like that, but these these books that come from more of a space of creativity so she said she's a choreographer just tap into parts of you that need to be nurtured mm. Mm. it is these books are definitely nurturing so we might be doing some book swapping after this you and I I think so although I think <laughs> if these are books you go back to they're the ones that no they're in my I don't precious <laughs> I don't lend them out category yeah all right, so the next one I believe is one that I'm going to recommend is one that you've also read and it's not necessarily going on your top list but I'm interested to hear sort of your thoughts on it and it's Company of One hmm. by Paul Jarvis. So you have also read this, haven't you? I have, yes. So this was interesting because it took me over a year to read. It was sort of a pick up, put down, pick up, put down. And the reason I read it is it was recommended to me by two to three people, clients and colleagues. So I have this little rule that if more than two people who I value their opinion recommend a book to me, it goes on my list. And that's only ever let me down once in my life. So I figure from a statistical point of view, it's worth reading books that other people recommend. It's, I'll read you a little bit from Goodreads to sort of explain what the book is about. Company of One is a refreshingly new approach centred on staying small and avoiding growth for any size business. So the contrarian approach really appealed to me, not as a freelancer who only gets paid on a per piece basis and not as an entrepreneurial startup that wants to scale as soon as possible but as a small business that is deliberately committed to staying that way. By staying small, one can have freedom to pursue more meaningful pleasures in life and avoid the headaches that result from dealing with employees, long meetings or worrying about expansion. Company of One introduces this unique business strategy and explains how to make it work for you, including how to generate cash flow on an ongoing basis. Now, for me, this book was quite simply a validation of my business model. So I didn't mm -hmm. read this and kind of go, yes, I need to implement this. I'm living it. And so mm -hmm. 
there, I felt like this was very much a nurturing of my internal conversations with myself because it validated a game plan that I felt was not as widely accepted as, which is fine. However, doing something that's contrary to what's popular is harder Mm. in my, you know, in my experience. And so the messages were around me at the time of reading this book. So it's really around 2019, you scale, get bigger, you know, you've run your business for X amount of years now. Why aren't you, why don't you move into an office? Why don't you, you know, all these sort of things that I sort of went, well, I've made some really important choices about the way I navigate my business that work for me. And it is this pursuit of freedom. It's this pursuit of choice and it's this pursuit of doing great work with great people. Mm. And so it was really validating. It was just this really nice, like, okay, yep, I'm on the right track. This is right for me. And do I need to be validated? Well, clearly, because that's why I'm putting this book on the list. Mm. And I think also, and we've talked about this before, I think in another episode, it helped me align my values to my work. So it was sort of a reset. And after reading this book, there were some things I stopped doing in my business because I thought it's not really aligned with where I want to be or the contribution I want to make to the world, which was obviously, well, not obviously, also a flow on from the messages that I've read in the, the email marketing book, the do email. And so I think this alignment of values, <clears throat> excuse me, is very, very important. So if you're thinking about reading this book, I think it's suitable for anyone starting out in a business and really it encourages you to make your own rules, which is effectively what I did in, and have done and continue to do in my business. There's just so many messages coming at you, aren't there, Louise, when you first start your business about the way things oh, maybe should be. So many messages, <laughs> yes. Which is overwhelming yeah. for people and I think it's unfair. Um, and so if you're experiencing growth in your business and you think, oh, I've got to scale up, I've got to get bigger, I've got to do you, do you. Mm. So remember why you started. Have a think about your values and the lifestyle. This is really about the lifestyle you want from your business. And look, there are some references within the book that say it's for people leading teams and running departments and department heads. Maybe I think this book is, you know, I've been a corporate escapee for a number of years now, so I could really only see it from the lens of the person running and growing a business. However, have a look at it. If I'm describing you, you and you're within a large organisation, you're running a department that's growing, potentially have a look at it too for you. So what about you, Louise? How did this, what, how did you discover this book and what impact did it have on you? Company of One by Paul Jarvis. Mm. I think I discovered his podcast first mm. before I discovered the book. Uh but I have a feeling his podcast didn't come under this under the name of his book. Um, I I enjoyed the book, but a bit like you, I did find I, I couldn't read it and just get right into it. Um, I fully embrace his contrarian approach. I like the fact that he's presenting an alternative to scaling and getting bigger and really questioning that you know mm. does it even need to be that way I really enjoyed that aspect of it uh, but I, th- there was something about I haven't gone back to it the way I go back to other books 
which I find interesting. So I like the argument he presented, but still found there was something in it that, I don't know, maybe it's his writing, I don't know. Something irritated me. <laughs> mm. But just what didn't flow, I just don't felt it flowed. Mm. And so this would be a really good example of a book that I'll probably revisit on Audible. Mm. Mm. Because you grasp, sense. yeah, you grasp the broad concepts and it's just revisiting them and, and you know, this is the thing. I mean, this is the books that I've recommended are the ones that sort of adjust your settings. Mm. Mm. So the next book I'm, I've got on my list is The Inner Self, The Joy of Discovering Who We Really Are. It's by Hugh McKay. So Hugh is a prolific Australian writer. I think he's based in New South Wales. And after reading this book, I may have purchased a number of his other books. I first came across Hugh, I think I, I feel like I grew up with Hugh. He's been a columnist in many magazines and news, I think newspapers, Australian newspapers. And I first came across the idea of this book after listening to a podcast that you'd recommended to me. So it was the Routines and Ruts podcast by Madeline Daw, and she had an interview. She interviewed Hugh really about the book and the concepts in the book and where we hide and compassionate love as a discipline. So we'll put that in the link. And there's that word again, that discipline word. So 2020, I read this book. It was in the heart of our first, you know, our major lockdowns here in Melbourne. We did go through another series in 2021. And really for me, this book validated the pursuit of creativity as important time with self. So we can see the sort of pattern here of the books I'm choosing. We sort of move from personal productivity and then, you know, the discovery of being an amavert and then the realisation that time with self was quite beneficial and then understanding sort of from a business perspective how I was going to show up and what my voice was and then that sort of you know the u-turn I think this is really the point at which I took the big u-turn to sort of have more conversations with myself so I'm going to read something out from the Goodreads synopsis of this book the inner self is a book about the ways we hide from the truth about ourselves and the psychological freedom we enjoy when we finally face that most searching question of all who am I really so there's a lot in this one I highly recommend it as a read it's an enjoyable read Hugh writes in a way that it's I think this is one I moved through quite quickly and it was on you know lots of underlinings lots of journal reflections it's suitable for those exploring what it means to be human. So he talks about this concept a lot. And I remember loving kindness starting to circle as a meditation practice in this book. And then I heard it three or four more times. And then I love that, Chris, you know, you then introduced him to Kristen Neff, which we have an episode on this sort of fierce self-compassion. And so if you're wanting to that reconnection with self, I highly recommend this as an absolutely beautiful read that should go on your bookshelf you've read this mm, yes I have yep and I really your... enjoyed it mm. and, I, and I love the way he explores uh, that it's it's not 
something to be, that the inner self is not something to be afraid of and that we can be and that a lot of us are, but that it, it's just, like you say, part of being human and is perhaps um, an undervalued part that, of ourselves that we don't acknowledge enough. Mm. And this, I'd love to read a quote from page 40 of The Inner Self. Yes, it does require courage. It requires patience. It requires emotional stamina. So he's referring to the process of self-examination. He goes on to say, and our fears might be justified. The inward journey might well be painful, but isn't it the universal human experience that painful experiences often produce the most beneficial outcomes? Enough mm. said about that book, I think. Mm. People can make their own decision and check it out. Lovely Australian writer. All right, so the next book we've talked about, we've dedicated or we've part dedicated an episode to this. So this is Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World by Cal Newport. So this is a new release. I think it, it came out in 2021, I believe. And I, I've talked in another episode, the digital habits and self-care rituals about this in more detail and the impact it's had on me. So I, it was first recommended in, a, in the New Yorker magazine email. And I saw, it came across it at the same time as I was planning to reduce tech in my life or considering how I might. And I was about to enter a, a digital spring clean. And it's really related to, again, <laughs> there's a theme with both of our books, you know, habits, disciplines and the technique. So what was appealing about this is Cal Newport has done, had done a review of the different approaches people had taken to this idea of, you know, he explored what a digital minimalist was in the context of other methods of navigating tech, tech. And he decided that the digital minimalist's approach was potentially the best one based on his research. So uh, in the, again, in the Goodreads synopsis, I'm going to read, share this with you. Minimalism is the art of knowing how much is just enough. Digital minimalism applies this idea to our personal technology. It's the key to living a focused life in an increasingly noisy world. And this is what you and I talked about in that other episode around this feeling of tech having this potentially unhealthy, you know, impact on us. So if you are feeling this way, uh, this book is suitable for anyone who's wanting to review, reset, reframe their relationship with tech or the role of tech in your life so we're not throwing out technology as a tool where except this book is advocating it saying it absolutely will enhance your life in different ways the point is you've got to take control and be more mindful and I think that was my biggest insight after reading it. it's just being more mindful about how you spend your time regardless of tech just how are you spending your time and then what role does tech play in serving that and again I think there's this theme of it definitely helps with personal productivity mm. and I've continued to it's interesting because so my final book that I'm recommending is deep 
work. Rules for focused success in a distracted world. Also written by Cal Newport and importantly written before he wrote Digital Minimalism. And so I particularly, literally just finished this mm. and I, it had to go on my list because it just connected all the dots of starting with work smarter, not harder. I feel like I've come this sort of full circle to, uh, you know, embracing my inner world, understanding myself, my values, all those books have taken me on a beautiful journey. And this one was really the roadmap for me of how I was, how I am going to live the life I am imagining for myself. And so the title is interesting, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. And it has chapters such as Be Hard to Reach, Quit Social Media, you know, like these really big concepts. So, again, is it contrarian? Maybe. Is that why it's appealing? Maybe. I think it's just a really practical level because of who Cal Newport is. And you can read more about him. We'll, We'll put the link in. He just comes from such a place of, you know, when someone comes from a place of research and findings and then practical tips, that is very appealing to me. Mm. So I was reading Digital Minimalism. He referenced deep work. He referenced sort of how that triggered, you know, his decision uh, to write. What am I trying to say? Yeah, he referenced in Digital Minimalism how writing deep work influenced his decision to write Digital Minimalism. So it appealed to me from a deep thinking productivity perspective and it's suitable for anyone who wants to carve out time to create things that matter. And I'd love to share with you something that I've captured from this book. So lots of conversations with self. So my process is if something sort of stands out to me, yes, I underline it, but I'll also put it into my journal as a sort of a reference point, a quote that really either gives me goose pimples or I will have uh, out loud sort of not yelling moments, but yes, that's so true. I had a lot of them during Company of One, those sort of, okay, yes. So decide in a, this is what he says, it's about ruthless scheduling of your time, which Mm. he knows some people will reject, reject. So in deep work, he really talks, he gives examples of people who've created amazing things in history who we would all recognise and what their process was. And so he talks about, there's a couple of things I want to share with you from this book, which I have highlighted. So bear with me. A commitment to deep work is not a moral stance and it's not a philosophical statement. It is instead a pragmatic recognition that the ability to concentrate is a skill that gets valuable things done. So I'm remind, I just think of the, the third book you recommended and feel like they were the insights that you drew from that, that her whole practice around being a verb and, and the suggestions that she's making were helping you get into that groove of doing mm. deep work. Mm. So he talks about, uh, I became ruthless in turning down time-consuming commitments and began to make more and began to work more in isolated locations outside of my office. So there's that word 
isolation, which is very much related to my insight around ambivert tendencies and time with self and time alone. Mm. And then finally, he shares, decide in advance what you're going to do with every minute of your work day. Overcome any distrust of, I'll start again. Overcome any distrust of structure if you want to approach your true potential as someone who creates things that matter. Mm. I find Mm. it interesting the way he phrases that, overcome your mistrust of structure. Mm. So he's really referencing his work time and the point he makes is that as a professor going up for tenure and, you know, a parent with, I think he's got a number of children, he was able to produce, he sort of talked about the, you know, what your life should be as a professor and that you work crazy hours, you don't see your children and the expectation is you've got to produce all these journals or, or journal articles. And so he was able to give stats throughout the book And he calls them leading measures. So he has this idea of leading measures that rather than, you know, if you track your your deep work hours, that's a leading measure because the more time you put into deep work, the greater the results you're going to get. If you you track number of books written or number of uh, journal articles written, that's not really tracking the behaviour or keeping your own behaviour that's going to get you that result. So it goes into an ordinate amount of detail, which my brain really enjoyed because... It's, it's one thing to present a concept. It's another thing to give lots of detailed examples as to how you would bring this to life. Mm. And so I, that's why I really enjoy Cal Newport's book. So I've consumed digital minimalism and deep work within probably three months of each other. And, you know, the, uh, other people would be familiar with a couple of these other titles, but I think deep work is probably the one he's most known for. And I imagine digital minimalism will become one that a lot of people embrace potentially in a pursuit to reduce tech or corral tech in their life. But because I think he's a, I should know this, he's a, I think he's a computer, not a computer scientist, but he comes from a a data perspective. He's quite unemotional. Mm. And yeah, and and so I'd say um, pragmatic and, but he will acknowledge the emotions and he will acknowledge the rejection of a lot of the concepts he's sharing with you. And and then he just has a very straightforward matter of fact rationale that tackles all these reasons. And he gives you examples of, you know, set yourself some really big professional and personal life goals, and then just use that as a criteria to make a decision around, is this the best use of my time? Mm. Whether that be tech or whether it be, answering emails which is a form of tech or whether it be coffee catch-ups or whether it be and so he talks about his accessibility as a professor he talks about his prolific creation of of journal um, articles as well as the publication of books and how he does that and he does that without compromising time with family so he has a shutdown ritual he finishes his day at 5 30 he actively participates with his family you know after that point and it's all about not brain trickery but really understanding that the time we have is finite and so you you need to really consider how you use that time both for leisure it's not just for work activities both for leisure and for work activities and he's a big advocate of 
go on that big walk. But when you're going on the walk, choose one issue that's bothering you at the moment that's work-related and try to nut it out while you're walking the dog or you're going to the beach and train your brain to be able to work through problems without a smartphone or a computer in front of you. Oh, how novel. Mm. That is, wow. And very accessible. Mm. All of his suggestions are really quite accessible. And so that one is if you're, you know, wanting to reach your full potential and write a book or write a play or create a piece of artwork or deliver on, you know, write a course, whatever your thing is, redesign something in your house or your life, I would highly recommend Deep Work by Cal Newport. So that's my list. Nice. I think that one will definitely be going on my list. Mm. What a good mix. And I love how yours really, yeah, creates that sense of journey where you've come from and to where you are now. Mm. And I only realised that as we pre- as we, excuse me, prepared for this, that I mm. thought, oh, this is really interesting. That mm. sort of what are the themes of the ones I'm recommending? And we discussed, should I call it? You know, I've got seven books. It's a lot of mm. books to recommend. Fortunately, you had one of them. And mm. yet I feel like they have all been, had such a significant impact on the way I've navigated my working and whole life that they were mm. worth recommending. So I hope for those tuning in today, you have enjoyed listening to Louise and myself share our books that we think will provoke thought reset and help you reframe and navigate the inner curious thanks louise thank you thanks for listening to today's episode you're tuning in to the inner curious a conversation between karen hollenbach that's me and louise weigel about the thoughts we have out loud that inform who we are and how we navigate the being and the doing. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, tell your friends and share this with someone who you think needs to listen to this right now.